This episode, Justice League International number 15, cover dated March 1988. Welcome to the 15th episode of Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. My name's the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm your host, but I'm not flying solo. Every single episode, I will feature a different guest host. My co-host today must have a lot of blackmail on me, otherwise I would never let him on this show. He puts the S in the S&G Podcast Network. Folks, please help me welcome Mr. Jay Jones. Welcome to the Embassy, Jay. Thanks for being here. How you doing? Fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. What a, what a warm welcome. What a fantastic introduction. Well, it's scripted. That's the only way I can get through it without choking <laughs> down my own bile, considering it's you. But anyway. Glad you could be here. Well, I think I'm glad to be here, too. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jay, why don't you tell the people at home why you're here specifically? Uh, where, where do our worlds intersect with JLI and your online fandoms? What, where, where's the connection? Well, that would be Captain Adam, primarily. Ah. Huge Captain Adam fan. Apparently, he's a big part of this particular issue. That's why I was asked to join. He's a very effective member of this issue, I would say. Or yes. maybe not. We'll have to discuss that by the end of it. But before we get too far, we should probably take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the JLI Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Each episode, we'll select Select a collected edition to briefly discuss from the InStock Trades library, and usually it's going to be tied into this month's issue of JLI in some way, shape, or fashion. Now, Jay, it's not required for a guest to bring uh, an InStock Trades recommendation. All the cool ones do, though. Uh, did you happen to bring an InStock recommendation? I did. I must be one of the cool ones. Wow. I guess I'll have to change the way I gauge that. But anyway, uh, what'd you bring? I brought Action Hero Archives Volume 1 Hardcover, Ooh. written by Steve Ditko, cover art Steve Ditko. Oh, also Joe Gill was the other writer. How can you forget Joe Gill? Um, <laughs> at the uh, height of comic Silver Age, artist Steve Ditko was winning praise for his spectacular work on Marvel's Amazing Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. At the same time, Ditko was also creating powerful tales of another hero, Captain Atom, published by Charlton Comics as part of its action hero line. DC's first archive of Charlton material gathers some of Ditko's greatest Captain Atom adventures, originally published from 1960 to 1966 in Space Adventures, 34-42, and Captain Adam 78 to 82. It's 224 pages, full color, was 49.95. The in-stock trade price is 28.97. You save 42 freaking percent. Nice. And now, it is a beautiful thing to have on your bookshelf. I was going to ask. Yeah, I, I, I've heard a lot of your flashback reviews, you know, where you covered these issues with Vance and things like that. So what, do you wholly endorse this? Do you love these old stories? Are they just kind of fun, kitschy? What, what's your feeling on it? Fun, kitschy. Yes. Right. <laughs> it's goofy, Silver Age, ridiculousness at its best. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Captain Adam has whatever power will get him out of whatever situation and use it once and never use it again. <laughs> That's the way we like our superheroes, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You can't beat the Silver Age for uh, lazy storytelling. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I picked something a little more modern, but is also related. I picked Justice League 3001 Trade Paperback Volume 2, Things Fall Apart. Now, in the early episodes of this show, I did talk a lot about Justice League 3000 uh, and 3001. I haven't talked about it in a while, but I specifically picked this one because this issue that we're going to cover today and this trade paperback both include appearances by everyone's favorite character, Nort. So, Justice League 3000, Trade Paperback number 2, is written by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteris, with art by Howard Porter. The uh, all-new Justice League rises from the ashes of the old. It's an all-girl team. It's a, it's very interesting. It's a very different approach for the Justice League 3001 at that point. It's really excellent. It collects issues 7 through 12. It's a lot of fun. 152 pages, full color. Normally retails for $14.99, but you can get it for 42% off right now, which is $8.69. That is a steal. Let me tell you, you should pick up both the Action Heroes and the Justice League 3001. Put them on your bookshelf. You will thank us. In fact, you'll probably write us like a little thank you note on one of the fancy stationery handwritten thing. Uh, we'll give you our address later. But anyway, you should get those. Send cash, too. Ooh, nice. Uh, for those and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, folks, as we're going to get into this issue, we want you to join the conversation. We want you to go out there on social media, get on, there on your Twitters and your Facebooks and all that jazz, and use our hashtag, which is PoundFWPodcasts. Also, you can find us under Justice League International, whether it be JLI Podcast or Justice League International. We're out there. You'll find us, no doubt about it. And this is really about building a community of online JLI fans around the show so we can all talk with each other. We can say how much we love these issues or maybe some of our concerns with this particular issue. Or maybe you want to tell Jay Jones why Captain Adam is a flake um, which, mm-hmm. well that's a long line of people who want to do that but anyway get in line get in the queue with it and we can all have a blast so please please join into the conversation yeah i am not a flake oh, captain adam is not a flake he's awesome <laughs> no you're not a flake just he is i just uh, take it personally <laughs> so next we're going to move on to uh what's quite possibly the most boring part of the show because i don't get to talk a lot it is our chat with the guest which is where jay i am going to ask you to please tell the people at home what is your own personal origin story with the jli how did you discover the book and what, what made you fall in love with it? Huh. Okay, well, I've been a Justice League fan for as long as I can remember. I started with the old Super Friends cartoon. didn't read comic books back then, so I didn't know who half the characters were, but I really liked the idea of superheroes forming a team and then liking each other so much that the world recognizes them as Super Friends. Uh, <laughs> it's like you and me, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the first Justice League comic I ever bought was Justice League International, Volume 1, Number 8, the Moving Day issue. And I didn't buy it because of Captain Atom. I bought it because I was involved in a particularly hilarious DC Heroes campaign. Uh, I told the GM I liked how loose and funny it was, and he told me I should pick up the new Justice League book. I did. I loved it. And the path I took that day led me here. Wow. So it's not all good. (laughs) What a heck of an issue to jump in on, too. Wow, that's great. And you're a DC Heroes role player, alumni. Always happy to talk to a fellow uh, alumni from the DC Heroes game. Yeah, you know there is a podcast out there that you should listen to, uh, Hero Points, I think, is something like that. Yeah, I've heard of it. It it comes out sporadically, like once every 10 years, but it's really really quite interesting. Yeah, to be fair, (laughs) yes, the show's been around since 2013, but believe it or not, we have doubled our output just this year alone, 2017. We've already had three episodes, we're planning another for this year before the end of the year, so we have Woo-hoo. doubled the number of episodes in one year, so we're that, and that's all down to Ciscoid. Ciscoid's the driving force behind that. So, oh yeah, pass pass the buck, sure. No, 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 no. I'm saying he's the reason we have episodes. I'm the oh. reason we didn't have episodes. I say, I, I thought you were taking down the Canadian. No, no, no. Well, that's not that's not hard. Yeah, if you by the way, if you do like the DC Heroes role playing game, yeah, check out the Hero Points podcast. Me and 
Discord. We have a blast. So, sir, I, I think I probably know the answer to this question, but who is your favorite JLI characters? If you can, try and narrow it down to, you know, somewhere between one to three. Well, you know, my favorite JLI character is, of course, that Firestorm. dirty... Yeah, he's not in the JLI. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Anyway, no, it's that dirty government spy, Captain Adam. He is a dirty government spy, and I want to ask is. questions about that, too, but go ahead. I love the Captain since the first page of the first DC volume of his comic. Mad props, as always, to Steve Ditko for creating the character, but it was Carrie Bates, Greg Weissman, and Pat Broderick that solidified him as a truly great American superhero. Uh, Marshall partial to Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. Okay, all right. I do podcasts about all three of them, so I kind of have to be. Yes, you do. <laughs> Uh, those are all on the SNG Podcast Network, but we'll give Jay time to plug his shows later. But uh, so let me ask you: all right, let's talk about this dirty spy business because I, I and we could have saved this for later, but I want to know. So Captain Adam, he's undercover. You know, he's told all these lies to everyone that he's you know been a hero for all this time. In reality, he's you know he came from the '60s and all that jazz. When did it come out to the Justice League International that it was all a lie? Uh, it was in the pages of Captain Adam. Yes. I couldn't tell you exactly the number. I don't remember, but I think it was uh, Blue Beetle that stumbled on the truth. Okay. And he confronted Captain Adam with Mr. Miracle and Booster Gold. And it was like this three-part uh, story arc in the pages of Captain Adam where he came clean and told them everything, his true origin, and that the government was sending him there to spy on them. But in true 80s romance fashion, instead of spying on them, he fell in love. Aww. Aww. With who? Uh, with the Justice League. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> it's like, it's like Plastique's not there. I don't get it. <laughs> well, that, that explains a lot. So, all right. So, you folks at home who are better at research, please drop in the comments the issue numbers because I want to go out and read these things. And I, I certainly don't want to wade through all your podcasts to try and find it. So it would be helpful to... When I reread the Justice Leagues, you see the path where he's being a spy and he's, he's you know not being on the up and up. And then suddenly you get to Justice League Europe number one and people already know. And it's like, yeah. where did it happen? So it would be interesting to be able to uh, address those issues. I appreciate that. No problem. Alright, speaking of other comic books out there that I, I want to read, folks, let's go on to the next segment, something I like to call... Monitor Duty. This is where we're going to talk about other comic books that are on the shelves the same month as this issue of Justice League featuring JLI members. Now, again, we're covering Justice League International number 15 this time out, and it was released on March 15, 1988. Our thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. So other titles featuring JLI members that were on sale in March 1988. Uh, Jay, why don't you take us through this first title? You might have heard of it. It's Captain Adam number 16 Woo! by uh, Carrie Bates, Greg Weissman, and Pat Broderick, a uh, Justice League guest star in this uh, issue where he is fighting the insane robot Red Tornado, everybody's favorite insane robot. (laughs) Or useless robot. (laughs) And um, it's pretty cool because the Justice League is also guesting in this. And by the end of it, you get a cameo by none other than the Swamp Thing himself. Nice. Nice. That's where they're doing the elemental stuff, right? Yeah, that's where they they sort of originally touched on it there. I don't think it was revealed that uh, Captain M was elemental at this point, but it was a Strongly hinted, and, and they'll get around to that. But uh, yeah, he met the wind elemental, and he meets the earth elemental, and eventually the fire elemental. Yes, firestorm, whoop whoop, represent. <laughs> All right. Well, other comics that also feature the Justice League uh, as a team. Also, the same month, there is Justice League Annual number two on the shelves. That's right, folks. It's time for another annual, and we will actually be covering that comic on the very next episode of this podcast. So watch for that. Also on the shelves was The Weird, number four by Jim Starlin and Bernie Wrightson. And uh, this series concludes with number four, and the JLA continue to make their appearances here. For more on The Weird, please check out 
Professor Allen's Quarterbin podcast as he covered that a little while back. By the way, we mentioned Captain Adam earlier. I do have a note here that I'm supposed to read. There's a contract that says I have to assist. For more on Captain Adam, check out oh, Jay Jones's coverage on the Silver and Gold podcast and the Splitting Adams blog. So be sure to check those out for more Captain Adam chocolatey goodness. Well, I figured I could plug my stuff at the end. So I, I didn't want to step on any toes. It's fine. I have big Flintstone toes. It's not a problem. <laughs> now, as, other, okay. as far as other members of the JLI, so not the whole team, but just individuals. Batman 421 was on the shelves. That's by Jim Starlin and Nick Giordano. Batman tracks down a serial killer with the help from a homeless guy. There's kind of an icky twist there. And then Detective Comics number 587 by John Wagner, Alan Grant, and Norm freaking Brayfogel. Woo! Uh, mm. Now, this cover, you guys have seen it. It's an incredibly iconic cover of Batman standing there in the rain by Brayfogel. In fact, it's been on posters lately. Uh, if you ever go through like Hobby Lobby where they have the comic book stuff there, they always have the giant signs with this image of the cover. It's great. And, uh, and this issue introduces a character called the Corrosive Man. Also on the shelves was Batman the Killing Joke. Woof! That's always something you think about in the past, but hard to believe it's contemporary of the comic we're going to cover today. By Alan Moore and Brian Bolland. We all know what this comic is, so I don't need to go into the details on it. For more on Batman during this era, please check out our own network's Batman Nightcast by Chris Franklin and Ryan Daly, both past guests of this show. Then a couple more uh, JLI appearances in Adventures of Superman, number 442, by John Byrne and Jerry Ordway. Superman battles Siphon and calls upon some of his friends for help, including Martian Manhunter and Captain Marvel. So for more on Superman, check out the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast by Michael Bailey, who's a past guest of this show also. I'm really looking forward to being able to say Jay Jones is a past guest of this show. Hmm. Um, then Martian Manhunter. in the future. <laughs> Martian Manhunter number three by J.M.D. Mateus. Hey, I've heard of that guy. And Mark Badger. Our Martian Manhunter's true form is finally revealed. So and that comes into play later on in the Justice League issues as well. And for more on Martian Manhunter, please check out the Idlehead of Diablo podcast by Diablo Frank. Again, past guest of this show. All right, folks, with those comics out of the way, we are going to take a quick podcast promo break, play a couple of commercials for some friends of ours, and when we come back, we're going to cover Justice League International number 15. Booster? Hey, bro. Gah! Bats! Booster! Together! Wow, well, this is great. This is just awesome. You never said you and Booster were friends. <laughs> it never came up. A consummate professional like you, friends with a dilettante like Booster? You're both my friends, okay? You're more of a work friend, and Booster is more of a fun friend. What's more fun than fighting crime? Ooh, he's got you there. Hi, this is FKA Jason's son again. I just wanted to take another minute of your time to tell you about his podcast, Silver and Gold. He and his buddy Roy Charlemagne Clary celebrate the DC Comics characters Booster Gold and Captain Adam, issue by issue, and blah, 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 blah. Listen, the real reason you want to listen to the Silver and Gold is their Throwback Thursday episodes, because I'm the star of those shows. Dad and I review the Silver Age Captain Adam stories published by Charlton Comics in the 1960s. You can find the Silver and Gold podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also follow Dad's Splitting Adam's blog at CaptainAdamBlog.com. We all know the real reason you'll be tuning in is to hear me criticize, uh, I mean, celebrate the Silver Age Captain Adam in our Throwback Thursday episodes. I can't believe Dad roped me into this. Searching for silver and gold If you're alone When you grow old You'll never find comfort in silver and gold 
Hey there, I'm Nathaniel with some exciting news about the Punch Like a Girl podcast. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, Liz, I'm, I'm just doing the promo. Tell the people about how the podcast we do together covering graphic novels and trade collections starring female protagonists is moving. To, and um, actually, I'm, I'm mansplaining again, aren't I? Uh-huh. Well, I, I can just, um, here, here you go. Punch Like a Girl is joining the Fire and Water Network and as of October will be found on the network feed and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Is it okay if I just invite folks to join us in celebrating the girls who kick butt? I think you already did. Yes! Nailed it! Don't worry, folks. I'll keep them in line. And we're back. Now, before we start talking about the comic itself, I want to remind you, if for some reason you can't find your copy of Justice League International number 15, uh, maybe you forgot to buy it, maybe you've lost it, maybe you're too scared to take out the trade paperback out of the hermetically sealed slab on your wall, I don't know, whatever. We will post some images from this issue up on our website, which is uh, go to fireandwaterpodcast.com slash JLI, and we'll have a gallery post there, and you'll be able to see the cover and some of the panels that we're going to spend some time talking about. Now, again, this is Justice League International number 15, published by DC Comics. Cover dated July 1988. Cover price was 75 cents. Three shiny quarters or dull quarters, I guess would accept. None of that Canadian money, though. That's just bogus. And uh, cover by Steve Lealoha. Jay, well, why don't you describe the cover for the folks at home and tell us what you think about it? Well, I certainly can do that. Uh, the cover depicts Manga Khan in uh, front and center, surrounded by uh, video monitors. He holds the earth between his hands as the monitors depict various Justice Leaguers in combat. Uh, he has not one but two word balloons. God, God bless him, uh, in which he's declaring, and it can all be yours for the special low price, the lives of the JLI. Uh, Manga Khan is cast in shadows. He seems a lot more creepy and foreboding than he actually is. I really like the cover of this book. The art inside, well, we'll get to that. Right, right. <laughs> I got to agree. I really enjoy this cover. And I do have to say, I got the whole world in my hands. I got the whole – anyway – I agree. The cover is really striking. It's especially a huge contrast to last issue. The last issue uh, had, honestly, the worst cover of the entire run of Justice League uh, International series. Uh, this one is really spectacular. MegaCon looks fantastic. And uh, as you said, the monitors look great. The big difference here is it's not inked by somebody else. This is solely Steve Leoloha. Uh, and I wonder if not having an inker makes a lot of the difference. Or maybe it's just the shadow effect, like you mentioned, that's on MegaCon, or the, the high reflecting of his armor, like the, the color changes. I'm not sure. Either way, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely, yes. And uh, it's got all all the major players right there on the cover, too. <laughs> and I didn't notice this before, the little uh, – where the UPC co- uh, code usually goes. Yeah. Uh, in some versions, I guess it says offer void where prohibited by law. I just noticed that for the very first time. Uh, shockingly, so did I. Right before you mentioned it, I noticed the same thing on my copy. <laughs> That's amazing. Had this book for 30 damn years and just I noticed know. it. I've got multiple copies of it, too. I mean, <laughs> and wow. uh, it's funny that right underneath the logo, the character who's got the main biggest monitor is, of course, Nort, which is Perhaps hysterical. So. <laughs> he is the star of the book. He, sadly, he is. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I love Nort. So, uh, and also, they managed to get Elrond on the cover, and you get Fire and Ice, and uh, Mr. Miracle, and Booster Gold, and Rock, Rocket Red, and Marsh Manhunter. But again, Manga Con's in the foreground, and he just looks spectacular. Yeah, All right. It's really good. Fantastic. So, Getting into this thing, it is Plot and Breakdowns by Keith Giffen, script by J.M.D. Mateus, pencil 
Taylor, Steve Lealoha, Inker Al Gordon, letter Bob Lappin, gotta love Bob Lappin, folks, colorist Gene D'Angelo, and editor Andy Helfer. Jay, why don't you kick us off with the recap? Absolutely. The issue is entitled Nort and South. Uh, <laughs> the issue opens with Mangacon's cluster being attacked by Green Lantern Nort. Elrond informs his master that the Green Lantern attacking isn't even assigned to this sector, leading Khan to believe Nort is a rogue lantern. Or an idiot, Elrond points out. <laughs> Elrond informs Manga Khan that any damage Nort could do would be negligible, which makes me wonder just how powerful the cluster is. I mean, the Green Lantern rings are supposed to be the most powerful weapons in the universe. This is probably the first hint that Nort isn't exactly what he seems to be, but that's a story for another time. Mm. Despite this, Nort somehow takes out the cluster's main power unit, and their cloaking shield goes down. At the JLI's New York Embassy, Oberon sees the cluster suddenly appear on his screens, along with a power surge in Australia. Uh, the surge blows out his monitor, so Oberon hits the big alert button to warn the Justice League. The Surge also shorts out Mr. Miracle's arm unit, his interface with Motherbox, on board the JLI shuttle, where he is accompanied by Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, Green Flame, and Ice Maiden. They're still Green Flame and Ice Maiden back then, right? Absolutely, yes, they absolutely are. All right. In the last issue, Martian Manhunter not yet signed Green Flame and Ice Maiden on with the JLI. Uh, Booster is lamenting the absence of Guy Gardner, but Green Flame tells him she and Ice are the two heaviest hitters in the Global Guardians team. <laughs> Ain't saying much. Uh, she also mentions they are probationary members of the JLI. Uh, the shuttle flies on towards Australia. Uh, in orbit around Earth, Captain Adam, Martian Manhunter, and Rocket Red number, well, sometimes four, have hitched a <laughs> ride on a Star Lab space shuttle. Martian Manhunter and Cap are wearing spacesuits, and I kind of have an issue with this. Didn't the Millennium miniseries establish that Cap could survive the vacuum with space without a spacesuit, the Bronze and Silver Age Captain Adams could. I suppose it's possible that the, in- the heroes were, uh, who were in space in that issue were surviving because of a spell Dr. Fate cast or something. Well, I'm pretty sure Martian Manhunter doesn't need a suit either, so... Yeah, uh, it's a nice touch, though, I guess. <laughs> Anyway, Martian Manhunter tells his team all they have to do is prevent Mangakon's fleet from reaching Earth. The trio exits the shuttle and approach the cluster. At first, the ships do nothing, but then they send out fighters. It dawns on Captain Adam that he can't use his powers, because if he does, he ruptures his suit. If he ruptures his suit, he dies. I guess that's why they wear the suit. <laughs> Approaching a giant structure in Australia, the JLI shuttle is attacked by Manga Khan's men. Ice Maiden quickly proves her value by blasting a soldier off the shuttle with an ice blast. Mr. Miracle and Booster leave the shuttle to fight while Blue Beetle sets her down. In space, Cap watches as Rocket Red and Martian Manhunter tear into the cluster's ships. He informs John that he has a plan to hold the cluster's forces at bay until the powerhouses like Superman can get in on this. All right, I'll pick it up from here. Now, normally I write my own recaps for these books, folks, but I was trolling through the Internet and I randomly landed on some blog. I think it was called Split Ends or something like that. I'm not really sure. It's Splitting split. Atoms, you jerk. Oh, is that what it was? Oh, oh, and some guy, this schmuck had, I mean, he must have no life, actually took time to write a recap of all the issues Captain Adam was in. So I'm like, oh, I'll just borrow from that. So what you're about to hear, about 90 to 95% is what I found on this Split Ends blog by uh, Jay Jehovah. Josephat or whatever his name was, and uh, so if you don't like it, you know we'll just blame him. If you like it, then that's probably the parts I customized. All right, here we go. You think you're funny, don't you? You really do. (laughs) I make myself laugh if if nothing else. (laughs) 
<laughs> so Elrond informs Megacon that Nort has broken off his attack on the cluster and is instead going after the fighters. Megacon is pleased, as this will save them a considerable amount in comparative damages. Now, Cap's plan is to use the surrounding debris to batter the fighters and give them something to run from. Jean is less than thrilled with this plan, but goes along with it as it's as good a plan as any. Just when they're about to be toasted by an incoming fighter, Nort shows up and rescues them. Captain Adam believes that Nort is just the advantage they're looking for. Now, back on Earth, the rest of the League is having troubles besting the Cluster's ground troops. Green Flame and Ice Maiden actually prove their worth, much to Mr. Miracle's surprise. Miracle flies into the Cluster building while Booster and Beetle take refuge with Green Flame and Ice Maiden under Booster's force field. Now, back in space, Nort proves his worth by taking out some of the drones with wreckage from the debris field. To the League's surprise, the Cluster ships begin to withdraw. And on the flagship, Elrond explains to Manga Khan that they have reached the point where the taking of Earth is no longer profitable due to the Justice League intervention. The moment Elrond reveals that they are already .0005% in the red, Manga Khan orders the retreat, stating, we live to shop another day. <laughs> now, back on Earth, the cluster is also retreating. However, Mr. Miracle is still inside one of the ships as it leaves the planet, before he can escape, he's grabbed by one of Manga Khan's men. So, Rocket Red, Martian Hunter, and Nort have to break the news of Scott's abduction to his wife, Big Barda. And Barda is furious with the JLI, losing her husband, and she armors up and plans to go with them to get Scott back. Now, back at the embassy, we're told a group of leaguers have taken off into space in an effort to rescue Mr. Miracle, and Fire continues to refer to Blue Beetle as bl- the Blue Butthead, at which he actually apologizes for misjudging Fire and Ice and tells them they were very capable during the battle. So this issue then closes with this little three-panel cute exchange between Batman and Guy Gardner, in which Guy is trying to convince the Dark Knight into returning to the JLI. Oof! Well. Wow. <laughs> Thanks for that recap, uh, Jay Jehoshaphat, whoever you are. Although I will have to tell you that Nort is not spelled with an apostrophe. Oh, you people. Anyway. I'm so, sure I saw it spelled that way once somewhere. Yes, there are many places where it's spelled incorrectly, though. You are correct. So you are correct that it's spelled incorrectly a lot. So either way, Jay Jones uh, or Jay Jehoshaphat, whatever you go by today, could you please tell us what you thought of this issue? I thought the story was cute. Cute? Cute. There wasn't really a lot for my boy Captain Adam to do in the Justice League. His role increases when Justice League Europe hits the stands, but that's still to come. I'm not crazy about Steve Leoholas, Leololas. <laughs> Work, yeah. On this, that's how I say. It. I'm not. I'm not crazy about Steve's work on these issues, but I think it was a step in the right di- direction. On my blog, I gave it a B minus. Now the Ferengi on Star Trek. They first appeared. <laughs> They, Where is this going? <laughs> listen, they first appeared on Star Trek a month before uh, after this issue hit the stands, and I'd love to believe that the Next Generation writers were inspired by Manga Khan, considering all the Trek references <laughs> JLI throws about. But okay. I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's just a big dumb coincidence. I'm sure Gene. I'm sure JLI was on the top of Gene Roddenberry's reading pile. Yeah, I'm sure, or Rick Berman, or whoever, whoever was really in charge uh, over there. Yeah, big dumb coincidence, and, and I never never really thought about it before until I read it for this episode. Manga Khan really reminds me of a Ferengi. You know, as soon as there's no profit in it, he, he just leaves. That is one of my favorite parts. I mean, Elrond's not even done saying that they're you know they're in the red, and he means, he goes, "I agree. Let's retreat." <laughs> yeah, I love that part. Like I said, the story was cute. Okay. <laughs> well, regarding the art, I, I'm there with you. I, in fact, I would say what you said you gave it a B plus, or B minus, what? B minus. I mean, uh, being a little generous, honestly, in some ways. I talked a lot about last issue, and I don't want to beat a dead horse. It, 
I'm not a fan of Steve Lealoha's art in these JLI issues. There are some bright spots, certainly. I'm going to mention those. But uh, for the most part, following up on Kevin McGuire and Keith Giffen, this is a real step down. And, t- and thankfully, we're going to have Ty Templeton soon, which is a nice big step back up. But yeah, it's it's tough. So let's let's talk about some positive things. For example, on page two, uh, you know, first of all, Elrond, you know, has arrived and he's in full glory in these issues, which is great. But on page two, there's this great shot of Elrond. You see his head from sort of the side, and you can actually see the the little bulbs that are on each side of his head. You can see the little pattern in the actual way the bulb is actually shaped, and you can get an idea like, oh, that's what that crosshatch pattern is supposed to represent. Mm. So you actually really get a chance to really see what it looks like, which is nice. Lealoha has this interesting thing. The way he draws Martian Manhunter is really interesting. Uh, he draws him with sort of this squat, sort of flat head, and his eyebrows are so protruding that they actually completely obscure his eyes. His eyes are in complete black shadow the whole time. You don't see the little red eyes. You don't see a slit. You don't see a dot. You don't see anything. All you see are shadows over his eyes, which is actually kind of an interesting way to represent the character. And I think Lealoha does some nice work with the space battles, or you know, you can kind of follow away action. You know, that's pretty cool. But uh, probably the most striking thing is 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 Big Barda. He draws her beautifully, but at the same time, statuesque, just very impressive. And when she puts on that Barda armor, she looks phenomenal. It's definitely recognizable as a Kirby character. She looks tough. She looks totally badass. So I big big props to that. Really enjoy that. So and there is a crack in the book itself, though. That I kind of wonder if it was a crack against the art or not. Because at one point they actually say, "Look at this squad of alien invasion ships. They look very." And there's a word. Their words. It looks very mundane, like every mm. other invasion fleet. And I don't know if that was just supposed to be kind of a you know something funny or whether it was actually a crack at the art by the writers. I don't know, but it did jump out at me. Mm. So I've I've got a lot of lots of other notes to talk about. Like uh, you know, the, by the way, I'm, I meant to ask you the power surge in Australia that blew out all the monitors and stuff. Do you think that was Paul Hicks turning on his hair dryer or something like that? Or uh, let's not pick on Paul Hicks. Uh, Why? He's such an easy target. We can pick on Mike Garvey instead. You know, Paul oh. Hicks is not the only Australian. <laughs> That's true. Mike Harvey's a good shot. We could go after him. Uh, there's also Rift. He's a good. He's a good target. So we could do all those people. So. There's three people in Australia to choose from. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> So I, I really do love Elrond in this book. He cracks me up. There's a great running gag about getting some warm milk for Manga Khan because he's uh, because of his anxieties. That cracks me up. There's a bit where he's sort of recapping what's going on for the reader, and they call him out on it. And Manga Khan actually says, "You sound like a good tribe plot summary." It's exactly what he was, <laughs> but it was nicely done. And then when you move into the JLI members, there's this nice continuity that we've seen throughout the series where whenever they're flying their ship, like the JLI's uh, airship, Blue Beetle and Mister Miracle are always there piloting together, which I really like. And there's some good. There's a great bit of sense of humor between those two that always cracks me up. They're very funny guys together. They, if if Booster Gold hadn't joined the team, I really think the blue and the gold would have become the the red and the blue or something with with uh, Blue Beetle and and Mister Miracle because they really really have a great vibe together. Absolutely. And they also get to continue all the jokes about damaging the Star Labs plane. I mean that's becoming a reoccurring theme as well. You now you touched on this too about Dimitri. You said he's sometimes a Rocket Red number four. Now do you remember what the deal is with that? Yeah. You mean because the first time you see him, he's got like, what is that, a number 13 on his chest? Yeah, what is that about? <laughs> but later in the issue, he's back to being number four. I have no idea. Was Rocket Red 13 the Manhunter? Uh, I think he was number 10. Where did, where did they even get the 13 from? I don't know. Maybe there's multiple Rocket Reds on the team. I'm not really sure. <laughs> 
this is supposed to be the same guy, I know, but that's really, really bizarre. It's a bit of a continuity gaffe, absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, also, I dig that uh, there's this running gag that's been all through the series is where people use the phrase Buster, and Booster gets bent out of joint. He's like, no, my name's Booster, which cracks me up. And they, they do they continue that here. Green Flame calls him Buster. I also like it because my dog's named Buster, so that always happens. <laughs> if I thought it through more, I would have changed his name to Booster, but I don't think the family would have gone for that. And then with Blue Beetle being called the Blue Butthead, which is, is – it's kind of a dumb joke, but it's a funny joke. It works well. They continue it well. And Green Flame threatens to injure Blue Beetle. This is the second issue in a row where she has threatened to injure a JLI member. So I'm curious if that trend is going to continue. And I love how Ice is so powerful. I mean she's blasting people around. She's really showing herself as a JLA or JLI-level hero, whereas Fire – I mean she can only you – know, she can breathe flame at this point. But in this issue, she's a very physical character. She actually tackles a guy. I mean it's uh, I wonder if the plan had always been to amp up Fire's powers or they were going to make her more of a physical character or they just put her in there because she was funny to bounce off of. I don't know. But having her be physical in this issue was sort of interesting. Yes. I often thought that they added these two characters simply because it was a sausage fest without Black Canary. So they had to have some more ladies in the on the team. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, and same thing with Big Barda about to join the team as well. They, they, they planted the seeds of that with Scott earlier in the issue commenting about how Barda should join the team and at the end she goes with them. I mean, and she's a great addition to the team as well. Uh, think about it, it took three women to replace Black Canary. That says a lot about Black Canary. Yes, it does. Nort kind of joins the team this issue, too. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> to chagr- well, well, it depends. I do love the character, but at the same time, he, he, he still makes me groan, even though I love him, you know? Yeah, he's, uh, I guess, cringeworthy, but he's got his moments. Well, I mean, do you love him or hate him? It's okay. You can take your, take your position. It's perfectly okay to be wrong. Well, I love him, definitely. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I, I do, I do, but, uh, you know, sometimes I don't want him in my serious comic book. But this isn't a serious comic book, so I'll allow it. magnanimously. It's definitely not a serious comic book. And they continue that trend from last issue. Uh, in the last episode of the show, Zoom and I spent a lot of time talking about how this is the this storyline is where the book really changes in tone. Before this, the humor really relied on sort of sharp dialogue or witty banter and things like that. Is It was really where the humor came from. And these two issues is where the book really starts to slide into more of a absurdity. And I don't mean that as a, as a bad way. It's just the situation becomes absurd. The characters become a bit absurd. Their response has become a bit absurd, and that's okay. It's uh, it's more sitcom-ish, really, is where it's going. And that's the direction the book's going to continue to shift towards, and it did it very successfully. So again, I'm, I'm not knocking the book for it. It's just a different tone, and it's, it's a lot of people, especially as we get to the feedback part of this episode, you'll hear it was a making make-or-break moment for a lot of people. Some people, it was exactly what they needed. Some people, it kind of pushed them away. I stuck with it. We got we got to talk about your boy. So, mm. what the heck's going on here? I mean, come on. He, he needs the suit mm. space. He he forgets that if he uses his powers, it'll it'll blow up the suit and he'll die. What? What is that about? Uh, you got to wonder why he's even there. Yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> but uh, I guess because of his uh, military back- background, you know, he's a he's a combat strategist or something. I don't know. I don't know why he's wearing a spacesuit in the first place. Uh, <laughs> But he should have thought about that when he when he put the thing on that you know basically he's a he's a superhero who uses his hands and he's not going to be able to use his hands. Yeah, but there have been many times when he's been out in outer space and didn't wear a suit. So I think that's just uh, I mean it's cute for the uh, storytelling purposes. Yes. But it's just not it's not uh, canonical. There you go. <laughs> 
That's a fair way to say it, too. Yeah, I mean, and it obviously comes down to different writers, but they've had Captain Adam now for three or four months, right? Because he, no, he joined issue seven, didn't he? Yeah, tail end of issue seven was the first time he appeared. So he's been around for seven issues, seven or eight issues. They should have a handle on him by now. In, in all these issues, I haven't seen the Captain Adam personality from his own book anywhere in here at any point. When, when does that finally come through? I never honestly think it does uh, in any of these books because even when he moves on to Justice League Europe, he's a different character than he is written as in his own title. Oh. Yeah, he's a lot more serious in his book, you know, naturally, they all these people are. His private life doesn't spill over into the Justice League, and the Justice League very rarely spills over into his private life, yeah. being you know his own title. So, yeah, it, it never goes away. It's always a thing. And that's, and that's a shame, too. I mean, it... He does – out of all the characters, he does feel a bit wasted here, but also he's – now, wait, let's stop and think about this. Is he the only dominant character – I mean, I'm not counting Batman here, but is he the only character who has his own ongoing series at this point? I mean, Beetle, Booster, Martian Manhunter, uh, Fire, Ice, Oberon, Captain – or Mr. Mr. Miracle. You know, I don't know that any character has their own ongoing series right now except for him. I thought Mr. Miracle did. Not yet. Okay. It's coming, but not yet. In fact, it's very soon, uh, but not at this point yet. So it's maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe it's hard to get for them to get a handle on him because you know he's he's being borrowed from another camp. Really, mm-hmm. I don't know. Didn't stop him from uh, giving Batman a specific personality. So, but then again, it could be argued that Batman's personality wasn't very much like uh, his own ongoing series as well. No, <laughs> it really wasn't. I mean, he, the Justice League Batman would occasionally crack a joke, and uh, that's not really the Batman I think of from his own title right. titles. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if it comes down to the end here, you know, how, how do you feel about the issue? You know, do you feel like it was a success? Do you feel like it was a step back? What What's your thoughts? Well, I like that they did at least uh, give my boy a lot of dialogue, <laughs> you yeah. know, and he, he was essential to the uh, saving of the day, as it were. But in the end, he didn't do a lot. So, I mean, I really find that the best way to describe this issue is it's cute. Okay. <laughs> it's just cute, and it's it's I, I consider it outside of the a regular Captain Adam universe. Right. Uh, but as far as the Justice League goes, I mean, it sets up a pretty cool thing with Barda going off into space with half the Justice League to rescue Scott. So, you know, that's pretty cool. I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's it's just a B-. minus. Fair enough. I, th- I think cute is a good word for it because it, it's funny. I mean, Nort's saving the day in, in, in a comical way. Uh, there's a lot of, again, absurdity and, and humor in that sense, but there's a lot of action at the same time, and there's a lot going on. I enjoy it. I think it's a successful issue. Uh, it's not my favorite. It's not like the one I'm going to seek out to reread the first chance I get. But you know what? I, I, I judged it pretty harshly before I reread it. Just from my memory, I was like, oh, it's those issues. But now that I've read it, there's a lot more to like in here than this issue than I originally remember. So uh, it's definitely worth a reread. I it's, it. it's strange because I remember liking it a lot more then than I do now. So. <laughs> Really? Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I'm such a diehard Kevin McGuire fan. Like, whenever he wasn't on the book, I was like, what is this? What is this? Now, I was doing it uh, after the fact because I didn't start reading the Justice League until it was in the 40s. So, then he came back and reread the old issues. But, all right. Well, you know what? There is some other things we should talk about in this comic book. There are the house ads. Why don't we trip hammer through these fairly quickly? There's some great ones in here. Again, this is March. So, really, the, the height of comic book advertising was in June. So, as we get to the issues that were released in June, you see less and less house ads because they're all filled up with video game and 
M&M ads, apparently, in Stridex. Mm-hmm. But at this point in March, there's not a lot of stuff advertising going on here outside of DC's own stuff. So, first ad is the World of Metropolis. Uh, also tagline, the rest of the story. So, before the Man of Steel, there was the World of Metropolis. So, this followed the World of Krypton, then uh, World of Smallville, and then World of Metropolis, if I'm remembering uh, the, the order of those series. I believe that's correct. Yep. So, uh, you got art by John Byrne. You've got, you know, Lex Luthor with the red hair, Perry White, Lois and Jimmy and Superman there. So, I, I remember reading some of these and thought they were a lot of fun. I don't, did you ever read these comics? I, I think I read a couple of uh, World of Metropolis. Metropolis, but that was it. I didn't really. I wasn't a Superman guy at this point yet. Okay. That came in the 90s. What was a really good way for them to explore Superman's history without spending a lot of time in the main book on it? It also gave him a chance to bring in some classic artists. Like Win Mortimer did uh, the art on this series, so I'm, I think it was a pretty cool idea to do it. And I, I like the covers because they are sort of, uh, they do sort of, uh, at least the ads sort of match up. So yeah. All right, moving on. Something a lot darker here, folks. Uh, Batman: The Cult. And this is where he fights Blackbriar Thorn, if I'm saying that right. And the ad is Batman on the run from a f- mob with flaming torches. And it says he's never been broken until now. Mm. Batman the Cult. Four-issue prestige format series beginning in April by Jim Starlin, Bernie Wrightson, and Michelle Wrightson. Did you happen to read this story? Not at all. Uh, oh, really? I was also not a huge Batman fan at the time. I ah. became a Batman fan after the 1989 movie. Okay, gotcha. But I do have uh, – I have a I have a thing about this uh, that bugs me. Uh, what's that? I think Spell Bernie Wrightson's name wrong. <gasps> Did they really? Yeah. It's how's it? B R N I. Oh, jeez! I was looking at Wrightson. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah. You're right. <clears throat> wow. That's a uh, that's a bit embarrassing. That's oh, a damn goodness. shame. He's a man's a genius. You know, at least spell his name right. Right. I know. Considering the amount of money he made for DC over the years. Right. Yes. Yeah. I would say I would. I would. Knowing what I know now, I would probably buy this just because of Bernie Wrightson. But at the time, I didn't know who he was. Ironically, when I bought it, because I did, I bought this off the shelf. I had no idea who any of these writers or artists were. I was, uh, you know, I was early in my collecting. I had picked up Killing Joke and had read Dark Knight Returns, and I thought Batman's pretty cool. Oh. I wasn't reading the ongoing Batman title at this point. That would come uh, after 1989, just like you, caught up in a uh, Batman fever. Yeah. So I, but I did buy Batman the Cult probably because I saw it was a miniseries and they had these cool uh, embossed covers where like the, the manhole cover was like pressed into the cover and everything. And I was totally wowed by this. I mean, and I haven't read it probably since it first came out. I should give it a reread. But, you know, it, me being a, a 15-year-old kid just really getting into comics at this point and seeing, you know, Jim Starlin's story and Bernie Wright's in art, I was just blown away. Really intense story, too. Very good. I'll have to check it out. Up next is Action... I wonder if it's collected. It should be. You know, it really should be. I mean, Bernie Wright's it. Come on. Up next is an ad for Action Comics. And this is the second month in a row we've had an Action Comics ad. Last month, we had the ad that said Action Comics closed for remodeling. This month, we've got Watch for Grand Opening. And it was an interesting progression of ads. You can see all those over on the Fortress of BaileyTube blog, which is run by uh, Michael Bailey, past guest of the show. You, you've read some Action Comics, right? I have a few, yes. And you've even appeared on a, perhaps a podcast about this? Yeah, Chad Bogleman's Action Comics Weekly Podcast. Mainly, it's a Action Comics at this point became a, a wild dog book with some <laughs> supporting characters. <laughs> wow. A skewed view, but okay. It has merit. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm quite familiar with the with the with the issues that uh, have Wild Dog in them at least. And there is a story arc with Green Lantern and Captain Adam that I really enjoy that's in this too. So oh, cool. uh, yeah, I like uh, I liked uh, Action Comics Weekly at the time. Now looking back on it, it's uh, you know not great. 
but not the worst thing I ever read. Had its okay. moments. <laughs> and is there some place people can hear you talk about this? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I know, they're still out there. They're just uh, on permanent hold. <laughs> is probably the best way to describe it. The Action Weekly uh, Comics podcast can be found at uh, on iTunes, and I think it as Action Comics Weekly Podcast But I'm not sure. But definitely, you can find it on iTunes, and just you don't have to listen to the whole thing; just the parts with Wild Doug. <laughs> and that was hosted, of course, by little Chad Bokelman, uh, past guest of this show. So, Another ad for Power of the Atom, and this is the Roger Stern, Dwayne Turner book. And uh, it's banking on you having known what Man of Steel was and George Perez's Wonder Woman book and Justice League International and the Flash relaunch because it's got all four of those covers right there. Mm. Basically saying, you know, everyone else is getting relaunched. Why doesn't Adam get a turn? So it says, DC does it again. Now it's the Adam's turn. And they're promoting uh, Power of the Atom number one. And uh, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've done a lot of talking about this with my buddy Frank. It's like, it's completely palatable, but when you're done reading it, you walk away don't really, you know, doesn't really stick with you all that well. This is funny that you said that because I was just thinking, I read this, this uh, when it came out, and I have no memory of it except for the fact that I read it. Exactly. Exactly. And I read it like a year or two ago, and I don't really remember much about it either. So. Wow. Up next is an ad that's near and dear to my heart, folks. It is for Who's Who 88. I love it because I do a Who's Who podcast, and I've always loved the Who's Who series. This one says, Who's Great in 88? And it's got this great Ty Templeton cover uh, featuring, or ad, I should say, featuring lots of the characters you find in Who's Who 88, including several of our Justice Leaguers. I see uh, Martian Manhunter. I see Rocket Red. Mr. Miracle. Are there any, any other Justice Leaguers worth mentioning here? The Weird? Oh, no, he's not a Justice Leaguer. <laughs> Uh, yes, Booster Gold and Captain Adam are both on here. Oh, those guys were silver and gold in color? Interesting. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, I see what you're doing. So Who's Who Update 88, four issues starting in April. And folks, if you love Who's Who, this is absolutely a huge letdown. So you should check it out compared to – and I only know that because I had to spend many, many, many hours excruciatingly go through going through it. And by the end of it, I determined how angry I was at Who's Who Update 88 because it did not live up to the glory – that was the original Who's Who 26-issue uh, series or Who's Who Update 87 or the Who's Who's that came afterwards. So if you want to hear more about that, check out the Who's Who podcast. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up for the house ads. Now we are going to give Jay a chance to jaw away there, buddy, hmm. on a little segment I like to call... Character Spotlight. This is where Jay is going to share some thoughts on one of the characters from this issue. I can't possibly imagine who I'm going to ask you to talk about. And we're not really shooting for an origin story here, more just something about where the character was in the DC Universe in relationship to the JLI, maybe where he was before, and what happened as an impact as being having the JLI as part of their lives and their career. Jay, why don't you tell us a little bit about Captain Adam? Well, Captain Adam first appeared in 1960 in Space Adventures number 33, which was a Charlton comic, created, of course, by Steve Ditko and Joe Gill. He appeared off and on throughout the 60s and finally got his own series in 65 with the publication of Captain Adam number 78 previously titled Strange Suspense Stories. The series was canceled in 67 when Charlton discontinued publishing action hero comics. He would pop up from time to time but wouldn't have his own series until 1987. DC bought the rights to the old Charlton characters and began publishing new material with them. Although he appeared in Crisis, Cap's first DC comic where he was the focus was DC Comics Presents number 90, which mm-hmm. also yeah, featured Superman and some other lesser-known character. Uh, <laughs> 
I don't remember who Fire it was. Storm. Thank you very much. Firestorm. Now, Captain Adam's own series ran for 57 issues and two annuals before its cancellation in 91. Since then, Captain Adam has only appeared in the background as a supporting character. Aside from two miniseries, Captain Adam Armageddon in 2005 and The Fall and Rise of Captain Adam just this year. The character really, as we said, was not super developed in these pages of this uh, Justice League International. But beginning with Justice League Europe number one, where he is named leader of the team, he really comes into his own as a Justice Leaguer. And I think some of that did have a little bit of spillover into his own book. Um, but Jay, you're not even mentioning the amazing character development that took place you know, after the Alien Agenda series, where with all the stuff with Monarch, and even better, Extreme Justice. Extreme Justice, yes. Well, i got to be honest with you, of all the Justice League books uh, out there, Extreme Justice was my favorite. Um, <laughs> I know that you have laughed at me for that before, and you will again. But, I'm laughing uh, at you now, Jay Jones. <laughs> I vehemently defend Extreme Justice as one of the best Justice League books because of the team. Oh, right. Zan and Jaina? Absolutely. Yeah, man. You think you're funny, but I love them. <laughs> God, it's awful. I loved yeah, everybody I, on that team. What you're saying is you love Firestorm as well, then. Yeah, you know I like Firestorm. Come on. <laughs> I just You just don't like to admit it when you're on the air with me. <laughs> uh, well, I only mention it now because you told me you stopped recording. <laughs> Tricked you. Uh-oh. <laughs> Wait, no, Firestorm? No, lame. Fire fire, lame, yeah. No, no. Yeah, definitely uh, Extreme Justice is will always be close to my heart, and I am antsy for the days when my own podcast reaches the point where we'll start talking about them. Can you talk about how Captain Adam's actually a clone of himself, an evil dark clone, but who's actually good or something like that? Yeah, yeah. When Captain Adam was, was boosted into the future while he was traveling through the quantum field, he somehow, when he emerged, it wasn't really Captain Adam that emerged, but it was a doppelganger, a, a clone, as you say, who was unaware of the fact that he was a clone and went on being a superhero. And eventually the real Captain Adam made his way out of the quantum field and became the monarch who was previously Hank Hall, but was always supposed to be Captain Adam. So uh, it's really convoluted. <laughs> oh, well. I'm sorry. I, I dozed off there. Were you saying something? No, nothing important. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, what a mess. And the countdown made it worse. Uh, <laughs> you just flush that part of it, please. So uh, I would say you know, with the New 52, they had a chance to streamline Captain Adam's origin, but instead they just turned him into Dr. Manhattan, right? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> they did. You know, that might as well have been called the, the Dr. Manhattan book. I mean, right. it, yeah, they changed him completely. Now, when uh, Carrie Bates and Greg Weissman got their hands on him again, they toned it down. They depowered him a bit, and they made him more of a standard superhero, but still not as cool as he was in the 80s. Uh, you know, it was a movement DC had at the time where, yeah, they brought Carrie Bates back to work on Captain Adam, and they brought Jerry Conway back to work on Firestorm. And Conway did do a really good job bringing Firestorm back to, like, his more iconic status. Definitely. So I was hoping Carrie Bates would get that same chance, but it uh, sounds like maybe it didn't quite work out. Yeah, something didn't quite click. It was good. It just, it just it left more questions than answers, and I really don't like the new costume, but yeah. I never do. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, enough of this sad sack stuff we were talking about. It's making me depressed. We should talk about something funny, folks. This is it. This is what you've been waiting for. This is what the price of admission was all about, folks. We are going to talk about the... Pwahaha Award. 
This is where we nominate the funniest moment in the issue. Both myself and Jay are going to pick one moment, and that moment will walk away with a coveted Wahaha Award. Jay, you're the guest, unfortunately, mm. so you get to go first. What is your nomination for the Wahaha Award? Well, I'd have to say the last panel on page three, the exchange between Mangakan and uh, his lackey. It's an old joke done to death now, but it still cracks me up every time. It's the one where, in the panel, uh, Mangakan's lackey is saying that his cloaking shield is down, to which Manga replies, What? <laughs> so the guy says, I said our cloaking shield is down. And Manga's like, I heard you. That was a rhetorical what, you idiot. Uh, oh, well, anyway, our main power units have been destroyed by the Green Lantern. And again, he says, What? <laughs> It's just forget I said that. I don't know. That was it for me. I mean, it's a, it's an old, tired, uh, hacky joke that has been done a million times in other mediums, but it still cracks me up every time. I actually enjoy that bit quite a bit. I, when I was making my list of potential nominations, you know, I had a hard time picking one this time. That was on my short list, actually. That one was very good. Also, the bits with Elrond talking about the warm milk, those were on my short list. But ultimately, I decided I had to go for the joke that had been set up all issue long, where they kept saying they couldn't find Guy Gardner, no one knew where Guy Gardner was. They needed Guy Gardner's help. And they're like, apparently he's on some mission that's so important he can't help us save the Earth. And the last three panels of the comic are this funny little exchange between Batman and a thug. Batman has you know, captured this thug and he's threatening and beating him up. And someone off panel is talking to Batman saying, come on, Bats. Batman, please. How about it, Bats? Please, pretty please. And Batman's getting furious. And he says, if I told you once, I've told you a hundred times. And the last panel, you see it's Guy Gardner hanging out with Batman in Gotham City as Batman's beating up this thug. Batman says again, you know, if I told you once, I've told you a hundred times. Not while I'm working, Guy. But geez, the JLI really needs you. Without you, crime fighting is just no fun at all. <laughs> and Batman's got the thug. And the thug's actually sighing like, oh. <laughs> just take me to jail already. <laughs> right, exactly. That cra- The idea of, of, of Guy Gardner hounding Batman all through Gotham City, because you know Batman can't do a damn thing about it, unless he's got some yellow pepper spray or something to take out Guy. <laughs> and, and the problem is Guy's not even the ag- aggressive, nasty guy. He's like the sweet, sappy guy. Yeah. So it, it cracked me up. I thought that was very funny, and I felt like, because it had been sort of set up all issue long, I felt like that sort of deserved the Wahaha Award. So, we've got two nominations, Jay. This is where we got to duke it out. You know, tell me why I should check yours over mine. Well, I'm going to throw you a curveball, Shag. Uh-oh. <laughs> I think yours is funnier. Oh, snap! <laughs> I will take the win. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you're right. It was a joke that had been set up through the whole book. And mine is just a joke that sort of recurs over and over and over and over, all over the book. And... The next time we see MangaCon, I think uh, it's, it continues. Uh, but yours is much funnier. I, I love it. I always did. <laughs> it's probably the high point of the book for me. All right. Well, I like Jay Jones telling me I'm right, so I'm going to go with that, folks. Congratulations to Guy Gardner and Batman. You gentlemen are the winners of the Bwahaha Award. Please wear it with pride. It is as tangible as the laughter we give you. So congratulations, guys. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, folks, uh, I'm sorry to report, but Jay is actually going to have to leave us for a little while. Turns out, uh, and I don't know why he did this, Jay, but Jay's actually wearing uh, a spacesuit. He's broadcasting from outer space, and he's wearing this protective spacesuit, and it's very, very sensitive. And if Jay cracks any more lame jokes, uh, his suit will rupture, and he may die. So, uh, sorry, buddy. I'm really close to the danger zone right now. So uh, Jay's going to make his way back to Earth and get out of that ridiculous suit. You, you think he would have thought ahead and planned for the sort of contingency like any superhero would, uh, whatever. So once he's back on Terra Firma, folks, uh, and out of that suit, he's going to rejoin us. 
So, Jay, we'll see you in just a bit, sir. All right. Uh, <laughs> signing off, Major Tom. And while he's getting that squared away, folks, we're going to read your listener feedback in a segment I like to call... Justice Log. Alright folks, before we get to your feedback, got a little bit of news. The Justice League International Omnibus has shipped. Yes, as the time of this recording, it just came out yesterday, folks. It is so exciting. This massive tome is out there. And lots of cool folks are posting pictures of themselves with their Omnibus on social media. Uh, just a few that I've seen so far include Jeff Messer, Ryan Stoic, Ronald Montgomery, Sean Strawbridge, Jake Perry, Mark Baker-Wright, James McCarthy, Nethead, yeah, you can tell we're starting to get into some Twitter handles here, and Jen Likes Candy Corn. Awesome. So, folks, when you get your copy of the JLI Omnibus, please be sure to take a picture of yourself with it and post it on social media and tag us. That would be awesome. Speaking of the Omnibus, when they announced the cover a little while back, this beautiful two-panel spread by Kevin McGuire, it was absolutely gorgeous. Lots of people talking about it, but he put the original art for that cover up on eBay, and it sold for, wait for it, yes, seven thousand two hundred dollars wow that's awesome way to go kevin fantastic and then last just want to mention a couple of quick podcasts you might want to check out that are tangentially related to our show first off there's first strike invasion which is a podcast dedicated to the invasion crossover they just covered on episode number 26 they covered justice league international number 23 our buddy cisco Aiden boss did a great job covering that not exactly jli but tangentially related J.M. DeMatteis guest starred with my podcasting life partner, Rob Kelly, on a recent installment of Mountain Comics. They talk about Captain America number 263, written by J.M. DeMatteis himself. You can find that on iTunes under FW Presents, and it was the October 1st episode. Awesome. All right, folks, now remember, we want to hear from you. Please get out on the social medias and use our hashtag, which is pound FW Podcast, or tag us on Twitter, it's JLI Podcast, or over on Facebook, it's Justice League International, blah, ha, ha, podcast. And as I said earlier, this is all about building a community of online JLI fans around this show. And remember, if you're outside the United States, let me know. We'll assign you the appropriate embassy. And it's good to know if you're international because we have to filter our iTunes properly to see your reviews. Speaking of which, this is the part of the show where normally I'd cover your iTunes reviews. However, we have received no new iTunes reviews since the last episode. Seriously? This is the first time this has happened, folks. What have I done to deserve this? I mean, don't you understand that my ego is suffering and starving for attention? <sighs> you people, you've failed this podcast. My thanks to everyone who has submitted an iTunes review, and for those who have not yet submitted an iTunes review, I might just come beat you to death with your own JLI omnibus. The thing's heavy enough to do it. Probably just take one hit. All right. Well, I am going to move on to comments we received on our website, uh, email, social media. I'm going to be pulling bits and pieces of it. I, I collect all the feedback we get from the various sites and put it together in one document to sort of cherry-pick items that were worth mentioning on the show. This time, it's like nine pages long, so I have to cherry-pick it. Otherwise, we'll be here all night, folks. And the following comments are going to be specific to our JLI number 14 coverage with Zoom Yukonori. First up is Rob Kelly, the guy I mentioned earlier from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does a ton of shows over 
here on the network. And uh, just to mention a couple, he does Superman Movie Minute and Pod Dylan. We asked the question during last episode, who doesn't like Elrond? Rob says he raises his hand. Seriously, Rob? Don't like Elrond? That's messed up, buddy. Heard from David Ace Gutierrez, the executive producer of Pod Dylan. He says, love that Zoom. Say what you will about Shag. He's always sounded like a professional broadcaster, morning zoo type. But mixed with Zoom, it's magic. A powerhouse duo on a weaker entry in the JLI library. And that's still a pretty damn good comic. Thank you, David. I think that was a compliment. Then heard from my buddy Derek Kraft in the Fainholes podcast. You might remember last episode for the in-stock trades pick, Zumi Kanori picked something called Tiger and Bunny. Well, Derek Kraft has a few things to say about that. He says, I've long held the belief that Booster Gold holds a lot in common with Tiger and Bunny and is usually part of my elevator pitch to turn on new folks to watch the show. Booster Gold meets reality TV show Survivor. And over there on the Fainholes podcast, uh, he actually has talked about Tiger and Bunny a few times. Uh, check out episodes 79, 89, and 135. Then we heard from Paul Hicks at our Australian embassy, and he's also in the Waiting for Doom podcast. He says, I became most aware of Steve Lealoha's name in the 1998 Walker Gabriel Chronos series, where he inked over Paul Guinan's pencils. I really dug that 12-issue run. And then he goes on to say, Keith Given hates Australia is something we are all very well aware of. Oh, sorry, Paul. Hope you guys have recovered from the Melbourne incident. Then we heard from Jeff R. He says, You talk about JLI number 8 as a turning point, but for me, this is it. This is where the series really found itself. Starting out a yearish long arc where everything just keeps clicking. Sure, action-wise, this is mostly just plate setting, but the character work and the humor are all working perfectly. MangaCon is fun, sure, not much of a threat, but when your arc is going to escalate baddies through Lobo to Darkseid, you gotta start off pretty darn small. Eh, that's a fair point, Jeff. Heard from my buddy Jose Riviera. He goes, So, we've come to issue 14. This is the one I've been dreading for a while. You could say it's because of the art, and that's true, but I also remember getting this comic in a 50-cent bin the day before my then-girlfriend left me for someone else. So thanks for opening old wounds. Oh, sorry, Jose. And on a happier note, I'm hoping you soon cover Annual Number 2, as that has one of my all-time favorite JLI laughs in there. Well, Jose, you'll be happy to know that is the next comic we'll be covering on the show, and I'm curious what your favorite line might be. Huh, drop me a line and let me know. Then we heard from Mark Baker Wright from Black Rock's Toy Box blog. He says, Shag, didn't you say that Ice Maiden was blue on the cover? Is the version posted you on the site a corrected variant? If so, do you have the original? Zoom Yukonori stepped in, thankfully, and said Ice Maiden had blue skin on the originally printed 1988 cover. This digital version corrected the color. That's a good catch. I didn't think about that when I posted the cover. Yeah, I grabbed it from Comixology instead of using, you know, scanning the original. And yes, they had fixed that mistake. Good catch, Mark. Thanks for helping me out there, Zoom. Then we heard from Martin Gray from our Scottish Embassy, also the Two Dangers for a Girl blog. He says, I can't stand Nort either. He's just a wetter, smellier chip. Maybe if we'd had the Honeymooners in the UK, though we did have the Flintstones. Would he be Barney or Fred? Come on, you're meant to be international. Give us a hand here. <laughs> then he says, this was an okay issue. I didn't find the art great, but always smile at seeing Steve Leoloha's name because he worked on Spider-Woman when she was a good character. The best thing about it was the arrival of B and Tora, even though they did act a tad entitled. Mind, Barna didn't big her up nearly enough. There's no way in heck an adventure starting in her home wouldn't see her get involved. Well, Martin, I, I would agree with that, but I think uh, they resolved that this issue for you. And then he says, if we have embassies, I'm UK, not Scotland. We're a devolved region rather than a proper country.
country. We even have a vote. Well, Martin, I appreciate that. Thank you for the uh, geographic information, but because now I know it gets on your nerves, I will continue to say you're at the Scottish Embassy. Then all this talk about countries in Europe gave Centaurin from our Denmark Embassy a chance to talk about Brexit, and there was a whole series of comments back and forth about the impact of Brexit in their countries, and Centaurin wrote, it might also be fun to have a policy discussion just to be able to talk about green and white papers, just so we, we get to listen to Shag, try to figure out what that even means during the next listener feedback. <laughs> Centaurin, you got me, buddy. <laughs> I have no idea. Then we heard from Ward Hill Terry, says, this issue is a gap issue for me. I have read and have most of the issues before it, and several issues in the late teens and early 20s of the run, but this one escaped me entirely. I appreciate the synopsis and the commentary. I don't know if it's my taste or my distance from the material, but so much of the humor seems forced to me. Then he goes on to say, by the way, I'm pro-Nort. All right, Terry, good job. Then he says, I knew Leia Aloha's work from Spider-Woman. Judging by the pages you include on the website, his work does not seem suited to these particular heroes. Although the outer space stuff does look good. Perhaps he was rushed. Perhaps he was restrained by Giffen's layouts. Yeah, it may very well have been, Terry. Then Centaurin from the Denmark Embassy chimed in again. He says, is it just me, or does everyone but Martian Manhunter and Booster Gold look surprised to be on such a poorly done cover? <laughs> Then we heard from Aaron Head Moss from the Headcast Network, former guest of this show. He says, another great show, Shag and Zoom. More Zoom than Shag, but that's another story entirely. Thank you, Aaron. He goes on to say, regarding Elrond, who doesn't love him, besides Rob? But he seems to hate all boxes, such as Transformers. So why shouldn't wonderful Elrond be any different? You You make a good point, Aaron. That's a great observation. Maybe Rob just hates all robots. Regarding this actual issue, I guess I have to agree with, well, I guess everyone. The cover is definitely not going to win any covers of the year awards. Mr. Miracle looks pretty good, but otherwise, meh. In fact, like you guys said, the art in the entire issue is really subpar. Though I did like the narrator getting in on the joke of Manga Khan. And Nort, I have love-hate relationship. When I see him show up, I smile and laugh, but then after a bit, he gets annoying. Until he shows up again, and I start the whole cycle over again. Then Aaron said, not sure if you're reading it, but the next issue box for Blue Beetle number 13 says it's entitled Justice League 3001. You've been warned, Shag. Awesome! Her from Bradley Nolly says, great episode and loves Zoom's voice. I know. God, his voice is so good. Clinton Robeson from the Coffee and Comics podcast said, Zoom could read a phone book, the ingredients to a package of Twinkies, or even just random street signs, and I'd still be hooked. And then he goes on to say, so, so glad Zoom brought up Tiger and Bunny. It is hilarious. JLI fans and superhero fans in general will have a blast with it. And regarding Elrond, he says, at least it's not like later on in the 90s when Elrond is in Despero's body, wearing that shoulder armor and carrying a gun that would make Rob Liefeld blush with shame. As for the humor of Manga Khan, I gotta say, Mr. Nebula is better than Megacon, at least for my money. Oh, Clinton, you had to bring up Despero and Elrond from the 90s and Justice League Task Force. Oh, that was a memory I had almost forgotten. Then we heard from my buddy Jimmy McGlinchey at the Irish Embassy. He... <laughs> Jimmy's such a good guy. He's always so nice and plays along with my stupid corny jokes. He says, Irish Embassy calling with some important news. Glorious Godfrey has escaped Belrev Prison and is at large, free to use his overwhelming speaking voice and his extraordinary powers of persuasion on an unsuspecting populace. It is rumored that he's going undercover, and I can reveal that he's going under the persona of a podcaster named Zoom. Oh, wait, the Bohaha podcast has dropped. We'll be back with you shortly. Wonder who Shag has with him on this episode. Then one hour and 42 minutes later, Professor Zoom Yukonori is a podcasting god. We should all download his instant classic podcast of the Done in One Wonders. In fact, Professor Zoom should take over the Bwahaha podcast. In fact, he should do all the podcasts in the Fire and Water Podcast Network. All hail Zoom. Zoom conquers all. Wait a minute, I'm talking here. 
Then there's sounds of scuffling and swear words can be heard from the Irish embassy. <laughs> and then after that, he, he goes on and he does this bit where he's now gone, resting, and Elrond has taken over the rest of his comments. And uh, Elrond here, in the guise of Jimmy McGlinchey, says, While the art in JLI number 14 was definitely not up to the Maguire standard, the introduction of such stalwarts of fire and ice in Elrond, hey, that's me, and Megacon, and the glorious reintroduction of Nort made it a great issue. My lord Jimmy particularly enjoyed the Python-esque humor on the show in the issue. Megacon was, according to my lord Jimmy, a great satirical introduction and looks forward to the next issue where his eulogizing continues to amuse. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate that. And then Zoom Yukonori chimed in, again, guest from last episode. He's also, since then, has joined the Fire and Water Podcast Network with his Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show. It's premiered. And he says, ah, so that's where Elrond went. And he warns us, episode 5 of the Done in One Wonders Podcast Show is entitled Rise of the Legion of Zoom, with good reason. Uh-oh. Watch out for that one, folks. Then we hear from my buddy Tim Price. Now, Tim usually writes like a dissertation here, and I typically read them to my daughter at night to help her fall asleep. Well, uh, he left kind of a shorter collection of comments this time, and unfortunately, these have left my daughter an insomniac. Thanks a lot, Tim. Really appreciate you helping out my family. Anyway, Tim says, Shag and Zoom made me laugh out loud so much in just the first five minutes of the episode. You guys have a real rapport going on. Kudos. And he says, what if Nort's ring sounds like Trixie? Norton's wife. We talked about last episode where Nort's ring, since he's supposed to be sort of Ed Norton, might sound like Ralph Crandon. Well, Trixie's a good suggestion. Nice nice thinking, Tim. Uh, and then he says, what's the deal with Big Barda working on the teleporter in just overalls, but basically topless? I'm not complaining, but really, is that practical for mechanical work? It's almost blatantly cheesecake, considering how Barda's dressed later. I don't know. You know, I noticed that too, Tim, that Barda appeared to be just wearing overalls and nothing else. I, I did find it pretty hot, but I think it was actually probably a coloring error. I suspect that it, it didn't make any sense for that, so I imagine that was probably just a coloring error. And then he says, uh, I like Elrond's design. The retro 50 sci-fi look with the awkward body, vice hands, and mantis-like head and wall eyes. It fits well with the comedy. It's just interesting to look at. Anyone know if it was Giffen or Lealoha created his look? It's a good question, Tim. I don't know. I suspect it was Lealoha, given that he was the artist of the issue. I mean, Giffen usually just does breakdowns, but I don't know. Maybe somebody should ask one of them. Then we heard from our buddy Siskoid from the Canadian Embassy, also part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does a whole bunch of shows, including the First Strike Invasion podcast I mentioned earlier, and the FW Team Up podcast. Siskoid writes, I will always love Steve Lealoha for that X-Men annual where the book is reimagined as a space opera. Inked by Al Gordon isn't helping, probably. But it's too bad this is marked as the weakest issue of the first two years. Then heard from Matthias McBride. He says, Zoom, I just listened to your appearance on the JLI Bwahaha podcast, and I have one question for you. Have you ever heard of Johnny Littlejohn, an aide to Doc Savage who never used a two-cent word when a $10 word would suffice? <laughs> Thank you, Matthias. I appreciate that. Then heard from Hoover Jeremiah. He says, hey there, Shag. I love the podcast. I'm not sure how long you stuck around with the league after our era, but in case you weren't there for the relaunch in the 2000s under Brad Meltzer, you should seek out JLA number zero. By this time, Infinite Crisis had made Diana a founder of the league again, and the DC Trinity were recalling past moments of the league, including the scenes that sometime after JLI number seven. Art by McGuire, because how could you not? And he posted the page. It's this great page, uh, again, drawn by McGuire, of Batman having a chat with Superman and Wonder Woman, Describing the time he punched Guy Gardner. It's uh, it's really a fun page. To answer your question, as far as my Justice League collection, I have reprints going back to the very first appearance of Brave the Bold number 28. Every single Justice League issue after that, either reprint form or original form, going all the way through about half of the new 52 run. So, pretty decent sized collection I stuck with for a long time. It's only recently that I've taken a break from it. Then we heard from John Daniel Hall. He says, Shag, Shag, are you a psych fan? As in the TV show? Am I crazier or would James Roday and Dual Hill not make the best 
Booster and Ted, respectively, for the Bro-Antiverse. That's right now. I may mispronounce the actors' names because I'm terrible at pronunciations. But either way, we're talking about the two lead actors of Psych. That would be pretty hysterical seeing them as Booster and Beetle. <laughs> Thanks, John. Then we heard from my buddy Diablo Frank from the Rolled Spine Podcasting Network. Uh, he does a bunch of shows over there, including just a couple of them: Marvel Superheroes Podcast and the Idle Head of Diablo Podcast, dedicated to Martian Manhunter. Frank says this issue is my official jumping-off point from the JLI. For reasons unknown, I missed issues 11 through 13. Then bought this one, and it turned me off the book. The jokes were not landing anymore, and I dislike the art. I agree this is one of the worst covers of the run, not helped by the colors. Too much green and red, plus all that yellow on an especially prominent Mr. Miracle washes out the background gradient. He goes on to say, the induction of fire and ice doesn't help, since they were completely unfamiliar, and as a duo came off as the least imaginative champions RPG NPCs. (laughs) I felt like it was a desperate race to whatever store was still open to restock the female personnel supply with whatever the cheap was cheapest on the shelves. Ouch! That's pretty brutal, buddy. And then Frank says, I don't hate Nord. He's a spice that only works on certain dishes and in small amounts. Ed Norton is greater than Barney Rubble. And I do like Elron, even in Despero mode, waiting for the Justice League Task Force reevaluation that the Detroit League has gotten. Although, let's be honest, Justice League Task Force was the better run. What? Seriously, Frank? Ugh. Then we heard from my buddy Chris Franklin from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does a bunch of podcasts as well, including Supermates, which right now is going through their fantastic annual House of Frankenstein. It's these horror episodes they do in September and October. Lots of fun. Be sure to check them out. Chris says, fun episode, guys. Can I be honest here? I never got into Manga Con or Elrond much. I still enjoyed the book, but I kind of rolled my eyes when the characters reappear. I don't hate them by any means, but I feel like they were a one-trick pony of a gag that overstayed its welcome. This is the line where JLI crosses over into being a comedy book, except when it's not. I could possibly blame the art because it's pretty uninspired. After the greatness of McGuire and the upcoming quirkiness of Templeton, this just feels flat. The cover's probably the worst in the whole series. But thank goodness you had Zoom on board to liven things up. And despite my lack of love for the story, and honestly Nort, who I felt was never better than his first appearance, I really enjoyed the Shag and Zoom banter. I could see a road movie in your futures. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Alright, I want to take a second to award a Double Stuff Award. This is an award for someone who has either gone out of their way to promote the podcast or has done something exceptionally nice related to July, and this one goes out to Dr. Ange of the Supergirl blog Comic Box Commentary. Ange, in addition to being a great friend of the network and the show, he really went over the top and did something incredibly nice for me personally, and I can't say thank you enough. He went to a lot of conventions over the summer, and while he was there, he got signed copies of JLI Comics and just mailed them to me out of the goodness of his heart. I couldn't believe this. He got copies of JLI number 5, signed by Keith Giffen and Kevin McGuire, and JLI number 34, signed by Keith Giffen and Adam Hughes. Wow, Ange, that was incredibly thoughtful. And again, I I can't say thanks enough. Thank you so much, buddy. I really appreciate it. Speaking of people I want to thank, it is time for the social media folks. These are the folks that were kind enough to share our show, to promote it on their social media timeline, meaning Facebook and Twitter. Now, I realize this is a long list of names. I say this every month. But guys, you got to understand, these folks took their time to promote the show. It's so important that we recognize these individuals. It might be the only time they get mentioned in the whole podcast. So this time out, we're looking at well over 60 names of people who helped promote the last episode. So buckle in, folks. Here we go. A very special thank you to these folks, including Too Old, Too New Podcast, Aaron Head Moss, Bill Beer, Buck Rollette, Chris Franklin, and the Supermates Podcast, Chris Lewis, Chuck Rodriguez, Coffee and Comics, Comic Reflections, Dallas Gibson, Daniel R. Budnick, David Bayer Jr., Derek William Crabb, and the Fanholes Podcast, Dr. Ange, Federico Hernandez, the Geek Brain Popcast, Generation X-Wing Podcast, Jack Dower, Jared West, Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, Jason Mulliken, Jeffrey Brown, 
Jeremiah Parker, Jose Riviera, Laurel Mountainflower, Longbox Crusade, Luke Dobb, Mark Lax, Mark Baker Wright, Mark's Mess Podcasts, Matthias McBride, Max Romero, and It's Plastic Man, Michael Bailey, Oscar Old Alde, Partisan Cantina, Paul Hicks, Relatively Geeky, Richard Field, Rob Kelly, including his Twitter handles The Aquaman Shrine, Phil and Water Podcast, Pod Dylan, Hostess Ads, Digest Cast, and Superman Movie Minute. Rod Pruitt, The Rolled Spine Podcast, Ryan Daly, Sean AZ, Sean Michael Ortega, Siskoid, Tarnished Pyrite, The Gar Podcast, Tim Price, Vishnu Ganon, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Willie Arboril, Zoom Yukonori, and Zeft. Oof! My thanks to all of you for your support of the JLI Podcast. Your feedback is such a critical part of the show, folks, and this community of JLI fans we're building together is absolutely wonderful. You guys rock. And if I've forgotten or missed anyone, I truly am terribly sorry. It was probably Zoom Yukonori's fault, not mine. So just drop me a note and let me know, and I'll be sure to include you in the next episode. Please keep those cards and letters coming also, folks. You can go out to our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI. Leave your comments in the show post there. That is where most of the conversation's going on. Or you can find us on Facebook as Justice League International, Blahaha Podcast, and on Twitter at JLI Podcast. Or, if you're old-fashioned, you can email us at jlipodcast at gmail.com. My thanks again to Zoom Yukonori for helping me cover JLI number 14. And thanks to you, the listeners, for such a great collection of feedback from that episode. Now, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break, and when we come back, we'll find out if Jay Jones was able to find the zipper on his spacesuit. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls... Hold your breath, make a wish, count to three. Come with me and you'll see A world that's filled with Beatlemania Hey everybody, this is Tim, one of the co-hosts of Beatlemania, the Blue Beetle podcast. Along with my co-host Jay, we're going to be bringing you everything Blue Beetle. From the Golden Age adventures of Dan Garrett to the Silver Age adventures of a different Dan Garrett to the more recent adventures of Ted Cord and Jaime Reyes. Trust us, we're keeping it blue on the SNG Podcast Network. The Supermates couldn't stop it. Amazing. It's incredible. The Fire and Water Network couldn't contain it. We didn't come here to fight with monsters. We're not equipped for it. The House of Frankenstein returns in 4D. They meet at the castle and hold debauched gatherings. Four blood-curdling episodes. Four classic horror films. Four supernatural adventures with your favorite superheroes. Four chances to lose your mind with sheer terror. Starring Lon Chaney Jr. When the full moon rises, I turn into a werewolf. With only one desire in my mind. To kill. John Carradine. I am Count Dracula. But I'm known to the outside world as Baron Latos. You see, before you a man who lived for centuries. Kept alive by the blood of innocent people. Julia Adams. Please, what is it you found? I don't know what you call it. It sounds incredible, but it appeared to be human. Peter Cushing. This place has been accursed the evil of some who abide here. And at long last, Vincent Price. Nine killed you. Nine shall die and be returned your loss 
coming in September and October to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I can't wait. There isn't time. There isn't time. House, House of Frankenstein. Frankenstein. 4D. My work is nearly finished. Go now. Destroy all I have created. All right, folks, we are back from break, and let me see, uh, Jay, is that you? Are you back? Yeah, I'm back. I realized once I got up there, they couldn't use my powers. Luckily, a six-foot-tall space chicken showed up, and together we defeated the evil Shagnestro and his <laughs> army of slobbering fans. <laughs> I'm glad you took care of that. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Jay, uh, as much fun as it's been having you here on the show, it is time to say goodbye. So thank you so much for appearing on this episode of the JLI Podcast. I sincerely appreciate it, and I almost mean that. Aww. We've, we've been sort of dancing around it all episode, but Jay, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you on the interwebs? All right. I'm on Twitter, where I'm at FKA Jason. I also have some podcasts, uh, Silver and Gold, a Booster Gold Captain Adam podcast, I do with my buddy Roy, uh, Beetle Mania, a podcast about Blue Beetle with Tim from cordindustries.blogspot.com, Wild Pod, a wild dog podcast. <laughs> He's not kidding. <laughs> it's our best show. And Charlton Comics Throwback, a show I do with my son Vance where we review old Charlton comics. All that and more can be found at SNGpod.com. I'm also on Facebook. So <laughs> thank you for... <laughs> Very dramatically. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for tolerating me today, though. It was about 78% less painful than I thought it would be. <laughs> when you texted me in advance and said you were going to be at least 50% prepared for this episode, I was excited because that's more than you effort you usually put in for a show. So I felt honored. Uh, definitely. Uh, and I phoned it in uh, a little bit better than I thought I would. So there you go. Perfect. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks again, Jay. I really appreciate it. All right. You folks at home, come back next month when we cover Justice League Annual number two. I can't wait. And we'll have another guest host to help cover the issue with me. Who will it be? Sorry, folks. This isn't one of those crossword books you buy in the store. You can't look in the back of the book to get your answer. You're just going to have to wait a month to find out. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, I'm Shag. And I'm Jay. And you've been listening to the JLI Podcast. Want to make something something of it? it?